0: Welcome to Our Real Life, a discussion about the journey from addiction to recovery with our host, Bob Bay.
1: Uh, when we separated, that was pretty much, that was another this is it moment for me where I'm just done and I have nothing else to live for. Like I've lived this long only to screw up this much. I'm back where I started. I moved back home with my dad. I didn't have a car. I didn't have money. I didn't have a degree from college that I was supposed to have come home with. I didn't have any of that stuff. I didn't even have a wife anymore. And um, it was just, it was another rock bottom for me. I just drank, I just drank, drank, drank as much as I could. And nothing still was ever enough, really. Uh, that was the first time I'd spent real time with a gun in my mouth. I'd always thought about it, and I'd kind of like just uh, massaged the idea of it. But that was the first time I'd actually really spent some time thinking about pulling the trigger. And I prayed to God, and it's like, God, all this time I thought about doing it, why can't I do it? Where's the strength that I supposedly had? And I was praying, God, please give me the strength to pull the trigger. Like, what kind of prayer is that? You know, right. that's, how, that's how lost I was. God, just give me the strength to pull this trigger. Like, this is, we've been waiting this long to finally do it. And obviously, I'm here. I mean, he gave me the strength to get off the floor and change that and do something about it. But there was a good time where I was just, I was drinking. I got a job at Subway. And I drugged myself in there, like the depressed, like feeling defeated. Every single day, I drug myself in there just to make enough money to go buy another bottle of alcohol. And I saved up, eventually got a car, got it working, and started to get my head clear. I was like, okay, well, I'm still alive. God still has a plan for me in some way or another. This is how it always goes. And I got a better job not too long after that. I started to see some real change in my life, but I was still drinking. I was dating some random girls that kind of didn't, just fill a, a place in my heart. That's really all they did was to fill a void. I developed a relationship with one that I, I kept these walls up, and I told her, I got these walls you're never going to get through but somehow she was able to kind of work through those walls, and when we, when we broke up, I felt it, and that was the first time I'd felt anything like that in years, because I didn't think I could feel pain or separation or, like, through a breakup and stuff again. That was kind of a wake-up call for me. I laid in bed for, like, three days, just depressed. Like, I didn't get out of bed. I didn't want to leave my room. I didn't turn my lights on. I was like, God, who we've been through a lot of stuff, huh? I was like, God, this, we can't keep living this way. What are we going to do? He's like, quit drinking, man. That's the first thing, quit drinking. I was like, all right, God, we're if I die throughout these withdrawals, like I, the withdrawals were so bad, like my insides felt swollen and it felt like I was just going to explode at any given second. I said, God, if I if I die during these withdrawals, I pray that you're you're there waiting for me when I get there. It it went through about a week of just sweating it all out and shaking it all out. I went back, started going back to Celebrate Recovery, and uh, throughout that week I got clean, I got sober again from drinking alcohol, and it was it was a God save. It was the first time I had seen him start working in my life again, and I was just refreshing on who he was and the promises that he had made. I'd set all the stuff on the side just to pursue what I wanted to, and he was there, faithful, the whole time, waiting for me. I could have, at any given time, said, Lord, save me, and he would have saved me. But I waited, and I waited, and I put it off because I wanted, I wanted something that I could never have. I don't know what it was that I was chasing. No.
0: You wanted to maintain control of your life.
1: Control, peace, yeah. some type of serenity, some kind of assurance that what I was doing was right. So it's been... um. It's been just over 11 months now since I've been back in sober recovery and I quit drinking. And then, like I said, I just quit smoking cigarettes not too long ago. Congratulations
0: so Congratulations um, on that.
1: The words the words don't really do it justice when people ask you, like, who is God? Because you really can't describe him. And we can only talk about certain characteristics. And everybody kind of portrays characteristics of God. That's what makes us his body is that you can see a little bit of him in you and a little bit of him in this person. And for me, it's he's just always been that provider. He's always been that person that was there when I needed him. He's always been the power behind everything I do because I feel so powerless in a lot of the times in my life that I don't even know how I get through my days sometimes without him, you know? He is that power.
0: Let me ask you this. You talked when you were young about having those times with your mom where you could just talk to her about things and it was so comforting for you. Are you able to do that with God now?
1: I am. I am, yeah. Grateful. Grateful as as an adult i know that i can't run from him anymore you know i can't hide from him everything i do is coming to the light eventually whether i tell him now or i tell him later i have come to him with just about everything and there's there's been little things in my life that i've held onto bitterness and things like that but for the most part this overwhelming trust in him that after seeing everything he's done like if i've been you know been through some of the things that i have there's nothing he can't do and Working through my inventory, especially in celebrate recovery was a huge time for me because that was the first time I'd ever really wrote out my life and looked at some of the things I'd done things that had happened to me, and I realized that there was a lot of both there wasn't a, it wasn't one side or the other it wasn't I'd made a whole bunch of mistakes or a bunch of things happened to me. It was a kind of a give and give that this happened, and I did something because of that happened and I was able to just be honest with myself and look at everything and God really showed me some of the things I was struggling with when it was like codependency and anger and like where these things had started seeding from. And then I lo- I was looking and I was like so clear that these codependency and anger and depression and lack of trust and missing my mom and all these things showed up in my relationships, whether it was with women or pursuing like approval of people. I just wanted people mm-hmm. to be proud of me in the way that my mom used to be proud of me. And I just date- I dated these women that were struggling with their own lives because I think in a way I was always trying to fix these women or like just trying to be that savior for them. Which I had no power to do, of course. I was my own mess, you know. But I thought, I, I thought, I, I thought all they needed to be was loved in the right way. That my mom wasn't loved, and I thought I could love them better. And I, I always just ended up being a toxic mess.
0: I think a lot of times we uh, we feel good about ourselves when we are able to to help those people. When we're going to save those people, it makes us feel good about ourselves. Makes us mm-hmm. feel better about ourselves. But mm-hmm. that's really just denial <laughs> because. I went through the same type thing in actually trying to fix my wife, mm-hmm. and uh, we were a mess trying to fix each other, but neither one of us had it together. Yeah. So it was the same kind of thing. It was a mess. So
1: My dad taught me from an early age that the greatest thing you can ever do is lead people to Christ. So I was taught from a young age to be this little evangelistic kid, and I guess that did stem a lot as I started going to church I was bringing my friends with me at that same time was when I was trying to date these women that I was trying to bring to church as well and I was trying to baptize and save these girls that I was dating the same way that I would try to baptize or save anybody else but there was this love and relationship side that would always get physical and always get sinful in the midst of all that so I was bringing these women into church that would just get scared of the church and not want to come back after that I was causing more problems than I was actually trying to fix and that was that's actually around the time I went to college when I was I realized I was making more of a mess than I am like fixing because I was pouring out a lot but not receiving in a lot. And that's when I decided I needed to get away and just have people pour life into me. It is painfully ironic just that I needed to be loved and I needed approval. I didn't need it, but that's what I was seeking for. And I worked so hard to find it in all these people and all these things only for me to be 27 now and content and loving in this huge relationship with God that is just... Overwhelming piece of whatever he does, he's doing. Like I was looking for approval and I was looking for all these things, and God had it the entire time. And at any given time, I could have just asked him for it. But it was my stubbornness, my entire life, even after the things that he's done, I still turned away at some point or another. Always went back to what I was doing before.
0: What do you see in your life are some of the ways that you can keep that cycle from happening again? What are some of the safety nets that you've built around you?
1: So, A lot of the safety nets I have is for one being plugged in like number one be plugged in with recovery with groups and I consider it like investing pennies or dimes every day I invest into my sobriety and I invest into my well-being by going to this bible study and even if I'm at this bible study and I'm tired and I'm thinking about my day and I'm stressed I'm hearing the word of God and through hearing you know comes receiving and doing so just being a part of these things and having that pour into you because I like you have to ask yourself daily like what am I actually listening to what am I watching these things I'm watching and listening to make me want to go back and do drugs and do all these things so I got to make I got to have the change got to make those kind of changes if I want to see progress so the first thing was getting involved with programs and groups and changing the music and some of the things I listen to I still listen to some some metal and that kind of stuff but I had to make drastic improvements to what kind of genres of music I'm listening to so just being plugged in with people that are encouraging me to stay sober has been Very uh, impactful, as well as a simple trick that I've learned is just averting my eyes. I don't know why that's always helped me so much, but especially when I go into gas stations and Walmart and Schnucks, I have to be careful what aisles I go through, so I don't go through an alcohol aisle on accident. I avert my eyes, or when I'm around somebody that's smoking cigarettes, I avert. I don't look at ashtrays, I can't look at cigarette packs, I can't look at lighters. Like certain things just trigger me. You know, you got to know those triggers. Hmm. You have to be. The devil knows you better than you know yourself because he's been watching you before you knew how to watch yourself. If I want to be anywhere on top of my game, I have to know myself, and that is knowing my triggers, knowing my times where I'm feeling weak and when I let a thought go longer than it should, you have to stop that like you just have to cut those at the root so averting my eyes has been a big thing that's always helped me, specifically like when I'm going in the stores that's where you come in contact with it a lot the most like at your home if you keep it all out of your house that's one thing it's kind of a safety net itself it's having your house like uh, my my porch is somewhere I sit out there and smoke I used to spit us out and used to sit out and smoke and drink a lot on my porch. So the first thing I had to do was kind of change that scenery. Like I put my Bible out there, put some books out there, put some like tables out there, just change it anyway to not make it remind me that I used to get drunk and pass out out here. And, uh, but outside of my house, you know, you have to, you can't stop what other people are doing. You just have to learn to deal with it. Whether that's averting your eyes or just trying to focus on like your own sobriety. So whenever I quit smoking cigarettes, I made it like only, only eight hours. And I was like, C- clawing my hair out ready to smoke another <laughs> cigarette and um, i was i actually went to this conference in texas had a lot of people praying for me and god spoke to me a lot at this conference and it was like clear that i need to quit smoking so i chain smoked three cigarettes back to back and i told god i'm gonna smoke until i throw up and you're gonna take this from me right now because i'm tired of fighting this and i don't know what these other christians have that i don't but i have the same holy spirit and right now i just claim that victory in jesus name that i'm gonna quit smoking cigarettes And I chain-smoked those three, and I was, like, hacking up, and I was, like, throwing up out by this lake in the middle of nowhere. And after about eight hours, after that had happened, I hadn't smoked. And I was like, God, if I turn back now, all that went to waste. All that pain, all the prayer, all my heart, I'm just going to look like an idiot. So I had to hold on to that moment of, I've come this far. I can't turn back now. And every time you choose to make a difference, your brain knows, and it, like, puts that into its hardware. Mm -hmm. So every time... I have that thought come up, like, do I want to smoke a cigarette? Now, instead of my brain instinctively going to, yeah, let's smoke a cigarette, now there's that backup option. It's like, no, I don't want to smoke a cigarette. So there's that time whenever you're you're not smoking that you're thinking, I could smoke, but I'm not going to. Every time I have to just choose not to smoke, and it starts with that. Nope, I don't smoke anymore. And then you can build on that. And eventually it becomes instinctive. And then that's when they talk about it builds a habit. And that's the same thing it's been with all of my sobriety, is that it starts with just that thought if I let that thought go for any longer than it needs to, it'll develop and right. within days it'll get hungry and it could turn into a relapse before I know it.
0: It all starts with that thought and then that thought becomes a choice. Yeah. And throughout the day we're faced with thousands of choices and mm-hmm. what choices we're going to make. A lot of times people feel like they don't have cho- a choice and and they, they have to give in to that. But, uh, They don't realize that God's given them back their chooser.
1: Yeah, amen. I read recently we have between uh, sixty to 80,000 thoughts per day. And the question was, you know, how many of those thoughts were the same as yesterday? And how many of those thoughts are freaking out about tomorrow? Or how many of those are stressed about today? Like, how many of those thoughts were me thinking about, I want to relapse? Like, I have to be on top of that. I have to be on top of my game because nobody else is on top of my game for me, you know? I wake up with my problems. Like, they're, they don't, people act like they go away but temptation and cravings don't go away your thought process changes and the way your desires change is what keeps them away and so becoming aware of who i am and what i want because if i don't want to be sober then it's not going to do them any good to do all these practices you know people try to give you all these tips and tricks like stand on top of a table and rub your tummy and pat your head at the same time and you won't want a cigarette after that and like people say that with eating sunflower seeds and candies like all these tips and tricks are great, but do you actually want to quit? Like, what are you doing this for? I have to ask myself, like, are we still in this? And every day I have to have that inf- affirmation confirmation sentence with myself that it's just like, yeah, I'm still in this. Like, I'm still here, and this is what God wants me to do, and this is what I need to be doing. Because I know that one drink will lead to 12, right. and 12 drinks leads to another fifth of vodka, because vodka is really cheap, and I'm a cheap guy. So it doesn't take much to go back to it. <laughs> right. Uh.
0: It's important to have that net of accountability around you as well.
1: yeah, yeah. accountability, absolutely. I, I have people that can readily check on me at any given time. My dad specifically, I live with my dad, and he still drinks moderately and he smokes cigarettes moderately as well. But he also like keeps me accountable in this weird way, and it encourages him as well that he needs to quit. and like that light has been kind of shown and working in his life as well. But between him and my brother and just other random friends, like i I try to make myself accountable. I, um, I'm very active on social media, so I keep all my business pretty out in the open besides certain real personal things that only close friends get to hear. But I try to stay out and open because then I feel like I don't have any lies to keep up with. Right. Like, I don't, like, I don't have to post this and post that hoping that nobody reads the two and then calls me out on some crap. No, like, I just, I'm pretty out and open about everything. You can honestly ask me any question at any given time and I'll probably give you an answer for it. But so that accountability is a huge factor. Because if I don't have that, then nobody knows what I'm doing. And I could be drunk right now and nobody would know it. Yeah. But I had people that I texted before this saying, pray for this. And this is what's going on. This is where I'm going to be. And especially uh, there's times when I go to, I do go to bars at times to play pool with my friends. And I have a, speci- I have a pretty hard system that I go through in myself, in my head, where I have to avert my eyes. And I have to watch who's like who I'm talking to. Because if, somebody's, if I'm talking to somebody who has a drink in their hand, that's going to make me instinctively want to pick up my drink. Even though I don't have a drink, I just instinctively want to do what that person's doing. And that's like that's something other people don't realize. Just watching people do these things makes you instinctively kind of want to do it as well. If you're talking to somebody and I try to hand you a water bottle, you're probably going to grab it like instinctively. It's just something our brain does. And between averting my eyes and staying away from the bar, obviously, I, uh, I, I play pool a lot. That's my thing. That's, why, that's the only reason I go into a bar is to play pool or if they got really good food. And uh, I make sure that somebody knows that I'm there. Like I'm on Snapchat posting like, hey, guys, I'm at the bar. Guess what? I'm Mm -hmm. drinking water and I'm playing pool. Here's what's this. If you guys want to come up here, you can. And I try to you got to try to make yourself accountable.
0: Yeah. Right now, if you look at your life today, what would be the one thing that you would go back and tell yourself 10 years ago?
1: I wish I could go back and convince myself that I had value and that. I had a future and that I had a purpose and that all these things that were happening to me and going on, were going to be used for something because there's a lot of things in my life that just seemed like God was punishing me and that life was doing this to me. And I always believed that I had somehow become, I was short and that I was being shortchanged because I didn't, I couldn't do my part. So since I was always falling short and feeling like I couldn't do enough, my depression, my anxiety and all these things told me I had no value and that I didn't really have a place here. There's days now where I say that, I have value, and sometimes I don't know why, but I just believe it, and I know because God says that about me. And that idea and that affirmation in my mind that I have value and that I have a purpose leads me to think, well, maybe I should do something then. And if, I should, if I'm if i doing these things, if God wants me to do this, He's going to bless it. He's going to see it through. So just starting to believe who I am in Christ, that identity, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Is If I could just go back and tell myself that God is who He is and that He, he loves me the way He says He loves me, because it's easy to look at a lot of Christians and like, yeah, God loves God. God loves Christians so much. I mean, he doesn't love me, but he loves Christians, you know? Like, that's pretty cool. You guys are you guys really got it made over there with Jesus and all. It's another thing for you to, like, actually just believe it. And I think that's, that takes a lot of time in most people's walks, I think, is just us believing and rooting ourselves in that identity that this isn't just something we're doing for right now. Like, when you go to sleep, you're still Christ's son. And when you wake up, you're still Christ's son. and. I just wish I would have under I just wish I would have caught that at a younger age that I had value and that if I would have really acted on it back then who knows where I could have been. And I can't get lost in that thought of like what if and what if and all this, but I do daily just have to remind myself of what God has done for me and the love that he has for me.
0: I think a lot of times I talk to him about that, what would you go tell yourself then? That really is their message that they need to be telling other people. Hmm. You have a message to tell people and I think that's a big thing in, in God's love.
1: Even if when I was 19, just joining Celebrate Recovery, if if somebody had told me back then that all the stuff I had been through could help change somebody else's life, I probably would have been more adamant about using it. But a lot of people take this past and they kind of just hush it under the carpet, you know, especially the, the church itself doesn't talk a whole lot about certain topics and things that we go through. Right. And that's because not everybody's able to handle those conversations for whatever reason, but... If I was if I was to know that my story, just like just talking and telling my story, could've helped somebody else, like that would have made a profound difference in my life, I think. Uh, it wasn't long after my mom passed away that my friend's mom had passed away. And he wasn't in the church. I think it was before I even was going to church, but I was there for him through that. I was like, dude, that sucks. I know. Let me help you get through this. And if I would have taken that epitome of my life and I would have realized at nineteen that I'd been through a lot of stuff that adults don't even go through. Like, if I would have realized I had potential and value just because of the words that God was willing to speak through me, I would have, it probably would have profoundly changed everything I was doing. I wouldn't have chased worship arts or I wouldn't have chased all this other things. I probably would have just chased telling my story and I would have stayed in the celebrate recovery I was in. And I was uh, closer to sharing my testimony back then. But, you know, now I'm, I'm still grateful now that I have even more of a testimony to share. Right. I put myself through a whole another seven years of stuff to talk about, so we're loaded up. <laughs> this podcast can go all night if you want it to. <laughs> but yeah, I just I wish I would have understood the value of God's story and what He's done. Like, we don't have to go through certain things because somebody else already has gone through it. Like, you can choose to not run headstrong into drug addiction solely because you heard somebody else say the drugs suck and will take your life away from you. So, like, if I would have told my story, that could have saved somebody else from issues. There was actually one time when I started going to church that I met a kid there that I went to school with in seventh grade. I hadn't seen this kid in, like, five or six years. But in seventh and eighth grade, he was going to church. And if he would have invited me, like, back then before my mom had died, I wonder what it had have been like being a Christian, going through all those things, and, like, how profoundly different it might have been just for me to go through all that in light of Christ, I guess. My grandma, my mom's mom, passed away several years later from cancer as well. I was a Christian at the time, so I didn't feel it the same way. I just kind of accepted, this is how life happens. Like, I took it and I said, God, you're still good. Even though this happened, you're still good. Like, You didn't take her. You didn't do this. You didn't take my mom. You didn't beat my mom up. You didn't poison her. You didn't do all these other things. Going through all that, not as a Christian and then as a Christian, it was totally different things. What I was saying about the kid that was going to school—if he would have invited me, you know, like that could have changed. That could have changed everything for me. And just thinking—if you just invite somebody to church this Sunday, that might save them years and years and years of who knows what, just because they made it, they were able to make that choice now instead of like late, later on. That's powerful stuff, alone.
0: That is. That is right there to think about that.
1: The fact that we get to choose—that God allows us to have the choice. Every day we get—I get to choose, like whether I want to go back to the same old stuff or if I want to keep doing what I'm doing. You know. And the fact that he gives me that choice, like, it not only is it scary, but I guess it's also it's incredibly loving of him to give us the opportunity to choose him. But it's also terrifying to realize if we don't choose him, man, you never know what kind of junk you're going to walk back into. Right. A relationship can lead to drug addiction, and drug addictions can lead to somebody dying you don't even know. They were doing that kind of stuff. I I have friends that were the last people you would expect to be doing drugs, but because they got hung up with the wrong crowd, they overdosed on this fentanyl. A lot of that stuff's going on right now, and Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking, man. I can't even get into how much of that's going on, especially just people my age in general.
0: Right. Yeah, that's the epidemic of today. Back when I was doing drugs, when when I was using meth was a big thing, cocaine and that. I mean, there would be people that would uh, OD from that, but I mean, it was pretty rare for people to die from that. Uh, now it's, oh my goodness, it's so common.
1: Uh, I think a lot of the times now it's because we're all trying to escape things. And there's a lot of heavier drugs that to try to help us escape stuff. So.
0: Yeah, I thought I was doing it to enjoy myself, but it was the same thing as it was today. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was drug addiction. Yeah. Because actually, those same feelings that you talked about, the being alone and, and all of that kind of stuff, I went through the same thing. And I find that a lot of people go through the same thing. You know, in listening to the podcast, you can hear, a you know, the different podcasts we can do, you can hear a common theme that runs through everybody's story. Loneliness mm-hmm. is a word that com- comes up all the time. People feel alone even when they have people around them. And they search for love and acceptance from anywhere that they can find it except for God in the start. And that is the only place where we can find real love and acceptance mm-hmm. and we don't even realize it mm-hmm. so well so to wrap this up johnny what what final parting words of wisdom would you have for somebody who's listening
1: one of my biggest life verses scriptures right now romans 12 1, talks about offering ourselves as living sacrifices and romans twelve two it says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of god and one thing that tells me being transformed means that there's something in me that is not correct. There's something that needs to be transformed to be more like Christ. That that means I have an opportunity every day to act on this. And that means I do. I can work with God to do this transforming right. So I've struggled with a lot of addiction and depression and anxiety. And these are all just thoughts that I allow myself to go to instinctively. One of the ways we have to challenge that is by going to God's Word and saying, What does God's Word say about me? And when you choose to stop those negative thoughts where they are, and you replace them with God's thoughts, your brain rewires that way to become instinctive and natural, habitual. Like I said, and every day, I have to think about what am I allowing my brain to fire and wire. And that's something that uh, neurologists will tell you all about is whatever fires together, wires together. Whatever I allow myself to think about and I ponder on and I lust after, those thoughts and those chemicals in my brain produce, and they keep me there that addiction builds and that becomes a natural thing for my brain to want to do. Whenever you start to change that and challenge that, you feel that every day has been a constant battle of just re- trying to rewire and transform my mind to be more like Christ and what His Word says because if it's if I'm trying to do anything outside of His Word, then I'm kind of wasting my time because I'm trying to follow the God that is of the Bible. Mm. So I can't find extra information outside of that. Every day I'm trying to rewire and transfer my mind into what He says about me, what He thinks about me. The confirmation's Statements of just like, I am a child of God. These affirmations that we should be saying to ourselves every day out loud I'm a child of Christ. God loves me. He did die for me. He forgives me. He has a plan for me. I have value. My story has value. What he's done for me. Like all these affirmations. It's every day. It's just a transformation. It really is transformation. And I'm not sure what greater words to leave off with, but. It is just no. A, that's really good. It that's is a good. transformation of becoming more Christ-like, and every day that is an act and like a decision that we have to make on our part, or else you're never going to change. You know,
0: right? Oh, well, that's very true. And when we when we hit that point where we can't do that on our own, we can fall back and rest in God, and He will give us the ability to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. To rewire refire and wire and (laughs) how you said it fire and wire yeah we can trust and and lean in on him to give us the strength and the ability to do that well i appreciate your time with us johnny i know that people's lives are going to be impacted by this thanks everybody for listening i want to encourage you to if you haven't listened to previous podcasts to go back and listen to those and uh, come back next week and join us and you'll hear somebody else's story thanks again everybody Thanks for listening. For more information, visit us at reallifeministries-stl.com. You can also join us on Facebook at Real Life Ministries STL.